I've entitled this week Peacock Believers because that's what I see in the text. And um, we're going to carry on in chapter 4. Do you remember last week when the Apostle Paul described himself as an under rower? So like a galley slave, he said, this is how I want you to think of us as leaders. And he used the plural pronoun us, meaning himself, Cephas, Apollos, anyone who the people claimed affiliation with and respect for any ministry that the people enjoyed. He said, we're a collective of gifts to the church, not optional tribal leaders. And he's tackling one of the many problems in the Corinthian church. And that was, in this case, the factionalism brought about by preferences, people preferences, style of ministry, doctrine maybe. But the church in the 21st century can learn from the church in the first century that we are all still prone to preference-driven Christianity. And Paul is very clear that when we're in preference-driven mode as Christians, we are being carnal. We're failing to understand that people are given to the church, as it says in Ephesians 4, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And Paul is wanting the Corinthians to grow up. He's wanting them to get over the preference of style to a place where they understand what God is doing through the lens of a human being. Liam Golliger in Greg Haslam's Preach the Word series, which became a book, a collection of edited talks, said that preaching is God communicating through the lens of a personality. Now, as the Apostle Paul came to the Corinthian community, he was rejected of people to the point where they even doubted his apostleship. They didn't like him. They said he wasn't a man of substance. They didn't like his ministry. But Paul was the gift of God to the Corinthians, as was Apollos, as was Cephas, and so on. Let's continue in that vein of thought. From We went to verse 5 last week. We're going on from verse 6. We'll try to get to the end of the chapter, but there's a big ask in that. I'm not sure that's achievable, but I'll do my best to get through a substantial amount of that today. Now, keep in mind, this is the essence of what I'm trying to show above and beyond what's on the screen behind me. The passage, in essence, talks about the difference between those who think and those who are. So the Corinthians had a very high estimation of themselves, born of their giftedness, where toward the end of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul contrasts the Corinthians in their thinking and behavior and giftedness with that of the apostles. That's why in some of your Bibles, it will say, and the title over the passage will be, The Nature of True Apostleship. Because the Apostle Paul shows what it really is like to be a servant or an under-rower. Remember, that was the word for servant. A galley slave. This is how I think you should think about me. This is the record you should keep of me. I am an under-rower. I am under the beat of Jesus' drum, the cocks of my ship. And I don't listen to your voices, Corinthian believers. I listen to the voice of Jesus. And I'm going to the beat of his drum, and I'm his servant and accountable to him and him alone. So the difference between those who think 
and those who are. Verse 6, and we'll read on to the end of the chapter. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that they may learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. Then you'll not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over and against the other. For who makes you different to anyone else? What did you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign and that without us. How I wish that you already had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Now, as I've already said, in this Messy Church series, the believers in in, in the church of Corinth had got a prideful mindset, often influenced by Greek culture, Greek wisdom, where they thought themselves superior even to the great Apostle Paul. Now, this is very difficult for us to assimilate in our own minds when we knew so much from our reading about the lifestyle of the Apostle Paul and what a great man he was, a great man of God, actually. Yet nevertheless, because as we have learned from the first chapters that we've walked through in this series, they brought into their thinking the Greek culture. They'd concluded that their wisdom was God's wisdom, but they concluded in one sense that it was wiser than the wisdom of God through the Apostle Paul. Of course, their human wisdom led them to exalt one another over another, and we're reminded again about the Apollos faction last week, the Cephas faction, the Paul faction, and the Christ faction. Of course, they weren't following these individuals themselves in a sense that they were in the church, they were no longer in the church. They'd gone on their missionary journeys, but there were leaders who showed affiliation to the teachings of these great servants of the Lord, these great underowers, 
to use Paul's language. And they were sitting in a tribal way as superior to the apostle Paul. They'd rejected their apostle. Dangerous place to be. Apostles are difficult to work with, but God gifts them to the church to set the church in order, the shape it should be. And this is what we find in the apostle Paul. So they had an inflated ego. They had a greater sense of their own importance that they should have. Of course, their importance was only in their own mind, and that's what I want you to see this morning as we embark on another study from chapter 4. They thought they were something, and that's the key, actually. They thought they were something. They, in their thinking and in the light of their giftedness, considered themselves to be special. Do you remember reading, you say that you are kings? They really thought themselves special. They thought themselves the bee's knees. There's a Wigan phrase, isn't it? There used to be a pub called the Bees and he's never went in. I was just to smile at the name of the pub. But what they thought was not what they really were. You know, this is what I want you to grasp. I think if we could narrow down what Paul is saying in one short sentence, the whole of the spiritual truth into this one fundamental denominator. And here it is. Paul is outlining for us the difference between those who think they are and those who really are. I hope you can see that this morning. Do you realize, I'm sure you do, that there's a difference between thinking and being? He talks a good game. Your walk and your talk need to be integrated as a Christian. This Christian life, and this is the pitfall that the Corinthians made, is not just about theology or philosophy. It's not just about their thinking. It's not even about giftedness. I know we must know about doctrine and we must understand the scriptures, but it's not just about the way you think. It's about your character and your flowing with Jesus day by day. Character must always trump gifting every time. I think I'm right in saying that we could go to any New Testament book right now and we would find that there was this demarcation line that every apostle and believing writer has ever been inspired with, and it's simply this. There's a difference between your talk and your walk. It's what James is teaching a lot in his epistle about being um, not just hearers of the word, but doers as well, this integration in the life of a believer. So Paul begins this to show them the difference between thinking you are something and really being something. That's how he's trying to get them to. He's trying to help them to mature. And he begins in verse 6 and says, These things I've taught you up to now, all these spiritual illustrations and figures that I've given you. And then he uses the word brethren. It's a tender word there. He's not beating them up. These things I taught you, brethren. And then he says, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake, that we are under rowers. Now, do you see why he's doing this? Why he's about to denote himself in the eyes, why he's about to demote himself in the eyes of the believers in receiving this letter? That's what he's doing. He's, bringing, he's playing himself down. He's bringing himself down in their own eyes because he wants them to clearly see you as followers of Jesus. You're not to worship a man. It's very dangerous when somebody's supremely gifted in the church of Jesus that we come up with a false equation 
I'm going to show you a false equation in a minute on that page. I'll save it for now. I'll come back to it in a minute. But there's a false equation, particularly in the charismatic church that the church believe. When a person is gifted, <clears throat> they, they apply a false equation to that person and it skews the church in both directions in a wrong way. You need to understand this false equation. We'll come to it. Excuse me, let's have a drink. But he says, this is what I want to say to you. Do not go beyond what is written. Now, he could be talking about any passage of scripture there. In fact, if you think about the word canon, in canon of scripture, it's the idea of a measuring rod. Did you know that? And he's saying, don't go beyond the stick that measures character and behavior. Don't go beyond what the scriptures reveal. Don't be esteeming ministers to an extent that you don't find it written in scripture. Do not think about men or women of God above that which is written in scripture. It's so important this because the church has messed up over the last two millennia so many times by exalting people and having a faulty expectation on leaders. And this is where both the church and the leaders with the gifts can go awry. So it's really important to ask this. But let me give you an air of caution for a moment. Because in the same way you're not to think of men above what Scripture legislates, neither are you to think of them less than what scripture says. This is what we learned last week. Remember, I talked to you about walking the middle ground and hitting the ball down the fairway. And we mentioned this in passing, but Hebrews 13, 7 teaches us that we should have respect and honor for people in positions of authority in the church. Verse 7 says, remember them which rule over them. So in this case, it's remember the SLT, the past and the elders. You've got to remember them. It's not right to forget them in your prayers and in your care or forget to do what they've asked you to do from the pulpit or in your small groups. They are sent to minister to you from God. Verse 17 continues in Hebrews 13. It says, obey them that have rule over you. Now, in the church of Jesus Christ, as far as I understand, there's a big dearth in the application of that passage because Christians don't want to obey leaders. In society, we notice, me and Rachel, when we look at the news, that, that leadership is being attacked. You saw Boris this week, again, under scrutiny, and some of you might see, well, Boris should be scrutinized, and oh, it's terrible, the Partygate stuff. But I feel like society's just gone a little bit too far to over-scrutinize authority to the point where nobody trusts anybody. And the safeguard in the church is that leaders will give an account to God. And I said last week, which is more difficult, to obey your leaders or for the leader one day to have to face Jesus Christ? <laughs> it's an obvious answer. But a lot of Christians don't like that these days in which we live, even though it's clearly a command. Everybody has a view about something. Everybody wants to implement it their way, with their own faction, with their own tribe. They see it differently. They know nothing of obedience, and they want to deconstruct the church to remove the oversight. That's what the word eldership means, oversight, overseer. As the world has lost confidence in God's design to have leaders we obey in church and society. But that's what the scriptures say. 
obey your leaders, pastors and elders, as people who will give an account to God in the same way you're not to esteem men and women above that which is written. You're also not to give them any less regard or honour than what Scripture says. Further down in Hebrews 13, so we've looked at verse 7, verse 17, now verse 24, the King James Version says, salute them all that rule over you. Now, our family church is going to institute the need to salute leaders as you walk in. It's an interesting Greek word, aspatsomai. The King James word, it's not commonly translated. In more modern translations, it says, greet those who rule over you. It's a bit of a combination between the two. I think salute sounds a bit wooden and ridiculous, whereas, <laughs> saluting. whereas aspatsomai is not quite greet because the idea of the Greek word that's in Hebrews 13, 24, it says, salute all those that rule over you or greet all those that rule over you, has this idea of exuberance in the expression of greeting towards your leaders that come in. So <laughs> I don't want any of this, I don't want physical embrace or kisses. I'm just giving you a, a, study, a study of the Greek word here. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to bring in a doctrine and practicing it. But when your leaders walk in, the Bible say you should greet them with excitement because of the grace of God on their life. Now, <laughs> if that can't be done, there's a problem in leadership or in the people or both. Because that's what the scripture requires of it. But your responsibility is to greet leaders warmly. To treat them with exuberance, to pray for them and care for them and honour them as gifts from the Lord. This is what is expected of the Lord by any believer in the church according to scripture. We're not to put leaders above any other person and think they're saints with halos around their head. But you're to give these people the honour that they're due. It's important you see this. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to them in this passage. Obey them that rule over you, it says in Hebrews. Paul didn't write Hebrews, but it's a link here. And submit to them, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. That they may do it with joy, not with grief, for it is not profitable for you. Did you notice that? It's profitable to treat leaders in this way for the church. It's for the good of the church that leaders are treated this way. Put more directly, if leaders thrive on your prayer and care as the church, so will the church. If leaders are grieving, remember the word grief was put in there, if leaders are grieving and broken off because of maltreatment of the church, the church will nosedive. So if leaders are grieving and broken because of your maltreatment, the church will nosedive. Now, family church, we must move on to look at chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians again, but we want to know this before we move on. Paul is identifying and outlining the difference between those who think and those that are. Peacocks versus paupers is one way of outlining it, or strutters versus servants. In verse 14 to 21, the second half of the chapter, he brings this message to them in tenderness. But the first few verses in verses 6 to 13, he comes with a real pointedness. And he lambasts those people who think they are something when they're nothing and demote even the very apostle Paul, the apostle of God, to the Gentiles. The first thing he says is this, the difference between those who think about something about themselves and those who really are is this. Now listen, this is what, 
would be the mindset. Those who think they are versus those who actually are, those who think they are, really think they've got it because they're special. But those who are really moving with God, who are really spiritual, they recognize that the gifts from God on their life are by grace and God could take them away any minute. That every holder of a chair is a temporary resident. That every gift that you carry, I hear a lot of people quote the passage in Romans that says the gifts and the call of God cannot be cancelled. That's pertaining to Israel more than the believer in a universal application. I've seen the anointing lift off people. Ian Andrews tells a story of a time when the anointing lifted off him and the Lord got him to get children to pray for the sick and then he realised it was the Lord that did it, not him, and the grace of God came back on his life. The Lord had humbled him through that. It's very important that the man or woman of God learn to be sensitive to the Spirit, otherwise the grace can lift off the lives. Those who are really spiritual, those who are not strutting, but are servants know that their gifts are by the grace of God for the glory of God. This is very important because Paul says in verse 6 that you are puffed up one against another. Do you know what the word in Greek means? I'm sure you can guess for puffed up. It means to blow up, to inflate, and it's derived from that word we use for billows now. Do you know what billows are? You see them? To blow on the flames. This is what Paul is talking about. There are people in the church that he was writing to that were puffed up with their own sense of self-importance, with their pride, and it was harming the work of God. This was the root, I believe, of many of the sins in the Corinthian church. We'll get to them as we go through the series. But the bottom of all these sins in this message church was the mother of all sins, pride. Men and women in the church of Jesus Christ who were puffed up, inflated, blown up, the fires of their own self-esteem were raging and they loved people pouring more fuel upon them. Now, what is Paul getting at here with regard to these factions and this following of men was the pride in personal giftedness, which is why I called it what I did. Peacock believers, pride in their own personal giftedness. They thought, well, I'm good at preaching or I'm a good evangelist or I'm good at ministering healings, or miracles, or prophesying, or whatever it may be. They took pride in the one they were following. Paul thinks better than you. Cephas thinks better than you. Apollos thinks better than you. And they were beginning to attribute these spiritual gifts to the men themselves. Listen to this. To the men themselves and their human ability. Now, this is what I told you about a false equation. You've really got to understand this. On the screen there, this is the false equation. Man plus God, this is the true one, equals man plus God. In other words, the plus God is the difference with the man. Now the problem with the church of Jesus Christ over the last two millennia is they've read man plus God equals the man. So let me explain more fully. A person gets the grace of God on their life and they do incredible things. So the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, Prophetic word is utterly accurate. They do things that people look on and think, wow, isn't that person, I've heard it said, that person's an Elijah. And yet I've seen the same thing happen with baby Christians 
who can move in the supernatural just as well a few weeks into their faith. Okay, so can we remove the false equation from family church? I preach this a lot, that the man plus God equals the man. I know when the Spirit of God comes upon me and I teach or preach or minister, I'm often shocked by what the Lord does, but the viewing public who are not part of that ministry will look on and see me or whoever else is ministering. That's who you are. You are man plus God. No, no, we are under rowers and the Lord is the difference. And when the anointing lifts, we're the scum of the earth. That's what Paul called himself. We're nothing. Do you know that the word scum of the earth, which Paul calls himself, is the off-scouring on a pan? That's what, the Greek, that's what he thinks of himself. That's the humility on the Apostle Paul. Have you ever burnt anything in a pan? We got, recently got an induction hob because <laughs> our oven broke after 20-odd years, which is never good when things like that happen, is it? We had to get an oven because we had nothing to cook the food in. And I'm still getting used to the induction hob. Some of you might laugh and think it should be easier with an induction hob. But I kept burning the porridge. How long it took me to... Me... <laughs> to scrape the black off the bottom of the porridge pan the apostle Paul says that's who I am he had a right estimation of himself he knew that the difference in his ministry was Jesus Christ he had learnt to posture himself under God in humility because of his suffering. Now let me explain something to you. Anyone you admire in God, whoever it is, who, who ministers in an anointing, an anointing will attract suffering. The Lord will engineer it that way. It's the only way that a person can not be prideful. Do you remember the Apostle Paul when he talks about a thorn in his flesh? And he says, I prayed many times, take it away from me, Lord. And the Lord said, my grace is made sufficient in your weakness. God, through the example of the Apostle Paul, demonstrated that he had to make God-reliant people so that they could carry great anointing. Everybody wants platform. They want anointing. They want to move in power. They want to be a Jedi Christian. Nobody wants to suffer. The Apostle Paul goes on later to say, not just we're the scum of the earth. You say that you're kings, and he's very sarcastic with them. He said, we're like those led around in the arena He uses the word spectacle, which is where we get amphitheater from. He said, look, you know what? You know when the gladiators have finished fighting and they've finished fighting with animals and all that spectacle of the sport of the Roman era, right at the end of the event, they brought out the scum of the earth. That's how the culture, the Roman culture knew. And he says, we're last amongst the procession. That's what he's saying at the bottom. We were brought out in front of the people and we were maimed by lions and bears. We had no weapons to fight. And people enjoyed watching us as 
doomed men or women or children. The Apostle Paul has such a humility on him that he says, I think, and this is my paraphrase, you Corinthians are very immature because you're operating in your personal giftedness. Remember it's in chapter one. You do not lack any spiritual gift. But he wanted them to know that if you really want to go up, you've got to go down. And the scary thing is for people who pursue an anointing, that every time you go up, something slams your life to bring you to your knees again. Look at the Apostle Paul beaten, shipwrecked, da 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 Slam, 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 to the point where you're a dead person walking. I don't know about you, but I'm nowhere near that yet because I still feel pain. I still get offended. I still get insecure. I'm still hurt by people. I'm not there yet. The Apostle Paul said, I want to be likened into his death so that at least the resurrection life of Jesus Christ might live through me. He knew that a dead person, a doomed person, would have Christ fully manifest through the dead person walking so that Christ might live through me. That's in Paul's teaching on what it is to be in Christ, that no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's nice to learn that doctrine. It's a totally different thing to be a Christian who says, yeah, I'll take up my cross and follow you, Jesus. I'm not going to be self-interested until the point comes where you want to be self-interested. Are you hearing me, church? And so he has to challenge infantile Christianity, the false equation that the person that they follow is special because man plus God does not equal the man. Man plus God is man plus God and God is the difference and the man is merely the scum of the earth. You all encouraged? <laughs> I've had people, genuinely, these are true stories, come up to me and say, I'd like a Porsche. Unbelievers. Because I prayed for one businessman. The following day, there was a little storm, knocked all the tiles off the roof. I didn't know he was a roofer. Everyone claimed on their insurance and his business prospered. And so then he takes me to a party in something like a wheat sheaf pub. I went to it, invited me and Rachel. And a guy genuinely came over to me and said, I'd like a Porsche, please. <laughs> Kidding me. <laughs> and then my next door neighbor came to me down the street the other day and asked me to do my magic thing. Because he'd seen a miracle. Can you do the magic thing again? It's not magic, explained about Jesus again for the zillionth time. But this is why we get disappointed. Even unbelievers can see grace on a life. But this is why we get disappointed when we get close to anointed servants. Because we have a false perception of that person that leads to an unrealistic expectation of them. When the anointing lifts, that person is just that person and they're not very impressive. We've had throughout my family home many, many different leaders of many, many traditions, and every one of them has been unimpressive. But the world will see them on the God channel or 
TBN or whatever, and the Christian church would be like, wow, they're amazing. And a, and a Christian leader like themselves as a Christian leader, I've had them in the home and think, as I am unimpressive, so are they, folks. I wish you knew what they were really like. Just like me, just like any leader you know, just ordinary. It's a bit like Jonathan Conrath talks about ministry in Africa. You know where you've got this child soldier thing and there's a child with a rifle. Have you seen that? And Jonathan says, the kid's obviously not trained many years as a soldier, but he's carrying the rifle, you do what they say. And I just feel like there's so many Christians, they are supremely gifted, they have tremendous power, but they've not learned to handle it. This was where the Corinthians were. They were saying it's because of me that I'm different. They said they were kings. The Apostle Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive, i.e. it was a gift? Now, if you did receive it, why do you glory as though you had not received it? In, In short, he's saying you're walking about like peacocks because you can do this or that or the other for the Lord. And you have this ability from the Lord. But if you really believed that it was a gift of God, you wouldn't be glorifying in it yourselves because you would know that God had given it you. And if God wanted to take it away, as I've said, he could. I think it was George Whitfield standing at the door one evening after his sermon and a lady said to him, you know, that was absolutely wonderful. That was the best sermon I've ever heard. Whitfield responded, I know. The devil has already told me that. You see, this is attack that the devil often comes with. A.W. Tozer was in the pulpit one night, or just about to get into it, and the chairman introduced him about what a great writer he was and a great prophet of the 20th century and all the rest. And Tozer was then asked to get up and pray. And he stood up and bowed his head and said, Lord, forgive that brother for what he's just said. And forgive me for enjoying it so much. There's a danger, isn't there? And we've got to beware of it. I do need encouragement as a leader. Leaders need encouragement. Please don't, don't stop encouraging me. But there is a fine line where we start to see man plus God is the man. The Lord is the difference in any ministry. Every, James puts it like this, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Listen, if I can preach and you can't, or you can preach better than me, It doesn't make a scrap of difference because it's of God and as God gives it, God can take it away. I love seeing anointed people that are not particularly gifted but are very mighty in God. I remember Gypsy William Lee in the Lancashire area. I never once understood any of his sermons but the power of God came through his ministry so wonderfully and many, many souls were saved. God is the difference in our ministries. You don't walk around because of your ability like a proud peacock, but you recognize that it's a gift of God by grace. And if God really wanted, he could remove it. I'm going to stop there. I could go on. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to give us a right balance in our perception of our own giftedness, in our perception of a leader's giftedness, 
and also in terms of how we treat people, whether to exalt or belittle. Paul challenged belittling as much as he challenged exalting. Let's try and walk the middle ground. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus uh, speaks to us through challenging texts as well as easy texts. And I pray, Lord God, that whatever is good in that word that came from you, whatever is truth, would go into our hearts and change us. Lord, whatever is from me or not quite the truth as heaven sees it, Lord, that you'd lift it off your people in Jesus' name. Amen.